0: from each other, uh, that we can speak into each other's lives, speak words of encouragement, be encouraged ourselves and even a greater delight that the living God is present amongst us and he speaks to us. Uh, we've had his word read uh, and we're going to look at it a little more closely. So can I encourage you, it'd be great to open up to uh, that, that passage uh, that was read to us, the gospel passage that Barbara brought to us, uh, page 1006. Uh, of uh, the Bible's a small print. Mark chapter 4 is where we pick up, but mostly in 5. Um, having that open, uh, what we need even more is our hearts open, and so let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we give you thanks and praise uh, that you are the living God and you are present by your word and spirit. And we ask that right now you would be at work. Uh, we, the, we ask that you would do the great work of taking away the stubbornness and the resistance in our hearts that we would delight in your way and your word. Father, we pray that by your spirit you would teach us the greatness and the glory of Christ, that we would find it easy to put our trust in him and live for his glory. And we pray that not just for our good, but for the good of those around us, this city Wollongong, and for the glory of your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Our evening comes and Jesus leads his followers across the sea. Uh, It's in pursuit of his mission. He leads them across the sea to the region of the Gerasenes, enemy foreign territory. That is, he leads them into danger. And the danger is immediate. The waves crash, threaten to sink them, and the disciples wake the sleeping Jesus. And 4, verse 38, they've got one question. Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Uh, They wake him because they they think, they know he can do something. They know his power. That's why they followed him across into the chaos. That's why they joined his mission to bring the kingdom even to enemies. But as the cost and the pain of following hits, they wonder, does he care for them? Don't you care? It's a question a lot have asked of Jesus. It's the question of many confronted by the brokenness of life. Uh, A man sat with his minister... After his marriage collapsed, and he found it hard to pray and given what had happened, he wondered if God cared for him. And the disciples' questions have that kind of added weight when we remember it was Christ who led them into the life-threatening storm. You know, Christianity did not create comfort. They suffered because they followed and many believers have obeyed in hardship and asked, Jesus, don't you care? And if you've not asked, there are others you know who will have. And Jesus hears the question and he deals with the storm and then he deals with the followers, verse 40 of chapter 4, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's not a question as much as um, an exclamation of surprise, he is surprised at their faithless fear Um, and his response is actually quite challenging. He hears their question, deals with it but it puts a challenge back, and, and it makes us, you and me, consider our fears and faith when we are asking about the Lord's care. You know whether there is something that we value more than all we have in Jesus, or, or, or where is it that we go to to deal with the challenges of life? See, simple truth: as Jesus speaks to your fears and faith, Christ is power that cares. Christ is power that cares. Mark, as we continue, he wants to show us Jesus in a way that you can answer the disciples' question in 4, verse 41. Who is this? Mark wants you to see Christ in a way that puts your fears right. Who is Christ? Well, he is power that cares. And there are two parts of this truth. First is a little longer. Um, The first, Christ has power over evil. Jesus is stronger than every difficulty. So he's got power over disordered creation, uh, Five verse thirty five sorry, four verse thirty five, uh, Jesus leads his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and this wild storm whips up from nowhere. Now the Sea of Galilee was prone to rough conditions. It sits about seven hundred feet Ah the Lord decided to put the lights on. Oh you're here um, uh, seven hundred feet or so below sea level and, and the wind would whip through that whip through the ravines into the sea, stirs up serious storms. But this one's out of the ordinary. Matthew's account uses the word normally de- used uh, for, for describing an earthquake, to describe. A- and waves are, are crashing across the deck and the boat is swamped and the danger is real. And yet, verse 38, Jesus slept. And the disciples raced to wake him. Um, don't miss the irony. A group largely made of experienced fishermen turned to a carpenter to get them out. You know... And with a word, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. Rebukes implies there is something disordered, something corrupted, something even evil in this storm seeking to destroy. Creation isn't as it should be, but at Jesus' words, instant calm. And the disciples in in verse 41, they're wondering, who is this man who controls nature? And if you're here early enough to hear the psalm that Sandy read us, opened up our service with Psalm 65, we're reminded it's the Lord, the Lord who speaks, and all creation responds. So Jesus has power over creation. And he has power over evil spirits too. Um, Landing in chapter 5, he's met by a demonic. This man is the living dead. So verse 3, he is isolated from friends and family. He lives in a graveyard. Verse 4 implies the demons... um, a powerfully violent they're a threat to all including him that is he's been chained it's the word for tamed demons have stripped his humanity and made him an animal and in verse 7 he recognizes Jesus and he asks what do you want with me they show me the perfect holiness of Christ that that provokes evil to violent fear now the disciples, they have been calling Jesus teacher back in chapter 4, we saw it, they respect Jesus but they don't really get who he is, they're asking who is this man. But these demons in 5 verse 7, they see Jesus, they know in an instant this is the son of the most high God, this is the one who rules God's eternal kingdom, this is the one who will end evil and so in verse 7 they try and turn the tables they try and get God's protection from God's own son they try and get turn God against himself and they plead in verse 10 and 12 cast us into this herd of pigs nearby there's these unclean spirits begging to go into richly unclean animals anything go anywhere as long as they can hang on to some vestige of power and life and whether it's from mercy to evil spirits or whether it's to demonstrate his power to potential disciples, or whether it's simply because it's not yet time to bring an end to all evil, Jesus grants their request. And yes, the pigs are destroyed, but more importantly, that one man, he is restored. Jesus has power over all the evil. And he has power over the evil, perhaps we feel most acutely, the power of death. Verse 21 to 43 is two miracles sandwiched together because essentially they're the same. They're about Jesus giving life to the dead. So verse 22, the synagogue ruler falls at Jesus' feet. Um, The synagogue got to realise is more than just the centre of religious life. Uh, it, was, it was the community meeting place with its own court system. It's kind of like if you know the, the courthouse over there merged with us at church. It's, it's the place everyone gathered. It is a place of power. This man is the establishment, and the establishment, so critical of Christ, is now begging for help, and he is desperate because grief and death have a way of humbling us, making us all desperate. And his daughter is dying and he believes Jesus can change that. And without speaking, Jesus goes to help. But as he does, a woman suffering 12 years of constant menstrual bleeding reaches out for life. Now, her bleeding isn't um, physically life-threatening in the instant. She's not going to kind of die on the spot like that sick girl. But still, it has taken her life. She is destroyed financially and socially and religiously. In Leviticus 15, uh, women were ceremonially unclean during menstruation. Now, it is not that Levitical law is anti-women. Menstruation is entirely normal and so exclusion on those grounds sounds really offensive. You kind of go, you know, it's just natural. How how is it that they can be cut out like that? Um, But exclusion for what's normal is actually the point. So the Levitical laws are designed as reminders to you and me that uncleanliness is everywhere. So you, you run through those laws, you know, births, infections, uh, problems with your home, uh, bodily discharges. But all these natural things all make you unclean, all unavoidable. But that's the point of the law, an outward reminder of what's going on inside you, these imperfections. It is not anti-women. It's a reminder that sin stain is everywhere. It's in the normal of life. You can't avoid it. But sadly, this woman's constant bleeding has cut her off. It's restricted her contact with others because her touch would make others ritually unclean. Uh, And so for 12 years, this woman has been excluded, socially invisible. She has missed every significant moment of worship and celebration. You know, think COVID for two years, but no, 12 years. Think complete isolation and no Zoom. She is the living dead. And after years of exclusion, she's not going to ask Jesus directly because she's kind of forgotten that she matters. And she has this semi-superstitious confidence in verse 28. If only I if only touch his garment, but Jesus is not going to let her do it on the quiet. So verse 30, notice he calls her out. But it is not to shame her, but to honour her. So this invisible woman has his full attention. Verse 34, Daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you go in peace. as is the only woman recorded in the Gospels to be addressed with such care and concern and interest daughter. Um, uh, after decades of isolation, Jesus declaring her well. Daughter, you're included in the family, the kingdom of God. You are one of us. Her, her faith in him, not, the, not some magic garment saved. The word there for saved, uh, or the word for healed, sorry, is the same word for saved. They're used interchangeably. That is through trust in Jesus. She's alive again, spiritually and physically, and he sends her in peace. The biblical concept of wholeness, shalom. That, that if Jesus draws attention to her, because part of her healing is this public welcome back into the community He wants everyone to know she's back and he loves her enough to let everyone know she is well she is saved she's alive she matters and then arriving at the rules house the girl's been dead long enough that the professional mourners have started so verse 39 jesus says she's only sleeping and the wailing turns to laughter you know professional mourners, people of that age, they knew death better than us. Now, of course, Jesus knows she's dead, but just as it was better for the bleeding woman to have attention drawn to her healing, he knows it's better for this girl to have privacy. You know, imagine her shock if he raised her only to see her family, you know, surrounding her, dressed for a funeral, only to see the professional mourners kicked into gear, uh, only to have that reputation for years to come. So in verse 40, he makes sure there are only a few in the room And then death is no challenge to the giver of life. Verse 41, he takes the dead girl by the hand, he raises her, Talitha, Coombe, little girl, wake up. That is, raising the dead for Jesus is as easy as stirring you from sleep. Jesus has power over death. He has power over evil in every form. He is stronger than every difficulty. And can I ask, do you understand that? Do you know that? Because when you realise that, you realise there is nowhere else to place your faith. See, in hard times, we ask that question, don't we? Don't you care? And Jesus counters, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Don't you trust me in the midst? Now, it can be scary to give your life over to Jesus, but even scarier is to trust something or someone else through life's difficulties. Uh, Duncan Forbes, he ministers on a UK council estate. You can see a picture of him here. Um, That's a, a highly marginalised, disadvantaged community. Uh, He's brought up on a council estate and God is still using him there. And in the face of hardship, Forbes reflects there's nowhere safer, nowhere better than to trust the sovereign God. He goes, living on a council estate does my heading. It is hard to cope. It's not where I want to live. And the doctrine that helps me live where I do most is the sovereignty of God. It's not only that God permits evil, but Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. The Lord creates disaster. And Forbes goes, on a council estate, it can feel like we live in a soap opera. To this day, my teeth hurt from a time I was attacked by a gang. But I find it comforting to know that Jesus holds everything together, including these perpetrators, even as they punched me. Because he's infinitely wise and God is not evil. And suddenly the soap opera script of my life has meaning. See, it can be scary to trust Christ's power, but it's scarier still to trust something or someone else. Because faith is, is relying on Jesus at the expense of every other security. And not everyone who sees Jesus' power is willing to do that. You notice that the locals in the Gerasenes, they saw Jesus' power. They saw it destroy the pigs, destroy their livelihood... And even though it saved a man's life, they did not share the joy because they were not willing to trust Christ's power over the security of their own work or the pattern of their own normal life. Jesus broke the pattern. So in fear, in verse 17, they say, Jesus, get out of our life. And there are many like that today. They're willing to admit Jesus has got power. They just don't want him running things. The gyrus and the suffering woman... They know only Christ is going to meet their deepest need. And so Jairus goes, I'm going to sacrifice my pride. I'm going to stop trusting the establishment. I'm willing to come to Jesus. And uh, and that woman, she had spent everything she had on doctors. Verse 26, left her worse off for her misplaced trust. They knew the limits of every other form of security to deliver from evil. So they go, Jesus, you're the only one. And I want to say for you and me, it's scary to give ourselves over to Christ, but we must, you must. A Christian woman with significant health challenges texted me, I'm trying to leave the outcome in God's hands. I find myself needing reminding of that constantly as I try to take control. We're always trying to take control because it's scary to give ourselves over to Christ. But when you see the reality of the brokenness of this world and the spiritual assaults and the prospect of death without him, you've got to go to him. There's nowhere else to put your trust. And more than that, there's nowhere else you'd want to. Uh, The second briefer, Christ cares for individuals. Jesus' power blesses all who trust. Uh, We've seen it, but I just want to underline it, that Jesus uses his power for our good. Notice the outcome every time he uses his power. So he calms the storm for the disciples' good. They don't die, true, but survival is not what Mark highlights. He doesn't draw attention to that. What he draws attention to is that they are now in terrified awe of Jesus. That is their good. That is him caring for them. For some time they've been watching him and and they've seen him heal the sick, but for the first time now they're terrified. At last they're dealing with Jesus, not just as a good teacher, a powerful prophet, but as God himself. And you are never safe in life until you revere Jesus. He cares for individuals enough to shake them that way, spiritually awaken them. And he exercises um, demons for the man's good. The demons had degraded him, made him an animal. But Jesus intervenes in 5, verse 15, he is dressed and in his right mind. He has spared a living death and more than that, verse 18, he longs to be with Jesus. So his life, we, this is a life properly in order. Dressed, yes, restored to humanity, but more restored to be, you know, begging to be with Jesus. Uh, J.C. Ryle puts it, never is a man in his right mind until he's converted, until Jesus is in the centre. Now, all the way through, this, this, this passage doesn't shy away from the reality of the brokenness of life, but Jesus keeps using brokenness for good. Uh, he does it again for raising the dead, not just for, for those he did raise, not just for the woman, not for, for the little girl, but for those, the way the story is told in verse 42, that's Jairus and his wife who were blessed. They're, they're, they're astonished, but they're blessed. We've got to see this is a blessing for all who live under the shadow of death. And he's all the way through, he blesses those who trust him. And not just all in a general sense, Um, real individuals. He cares for the 12 confused disciples. He releases the one possessed foreigner. He he sees the invisible woman. He raises the little girl. He cares for that particular family. That is, he cares for individuals. He cares for you. And these incidents look ahead to that greater work that he'll do to bless all who trust him. The storm looks ahead to his death. You you remember, um, he sleeps during a life-threatening storm it's an echo of Jonah Jonah was commissioned by God to bring a message of salvation to his enemies under the judgment of God and what does Jonah do Jonah flees he sails the opposite direction um, the sailors wake Jonah in the life-threatening storm and Jonah says fling me into the sea and will make it calm Jonah says I would rather die than bring life to my enemies kill me now he says But unlike Jonah, Jesus conquers the storm with a word when he's woken. And he says, I will choose to die in order to bring life to my enemies. And he does so at the cross that we might live. Uh, And he does it for you. He has power that cares. Uh, A woman's testimony had this great line. I met Christ at the door of the church. Uh, She came from uh, a difficult background, a housing commission background, a broken home. Her mum didn't feel confident uh, to come to church herself, to walk in through these doors. There was something intimidating, but she wanted God in the life of her children. And so this little girl was dropped off with her brothers at the church door. And by her own admission, uh, she was undernourished and not extravagantly dressed and her brothers were hiding behind her. And, and the woman who was unwelcoming looked, looked down from all the adults to her height and, and she looked at this child and she gave her full attention and she said, "'Aren't you beautiful?' aren't you beautiful a welcome of care it said to this child you are valuable and you matter here that is why this woman decades later can say i met christ at the door of the church and that's how jesus welcomes that's how jesus cares don't you care ask the disciples and jesus answers resoundingly of course i care i have power i care for you why are you so afraid And if we trust that, if we see him for who he is, two ways it will shape our lives. The first, plead for relief. It is right to ask for mercy. This passage does not shy away from how bad life can be. You know, natural disasters and spiritual evil and physical suffering and exclusion and the grief of death. And It doesn't sugarcoat. And the right response threaded through each incident is plead to Jesus for relief. You know, the disciples wake him and Jairus pleads earnestly and the bleeding woman, she's got no words for it but she just reaches out in hope and none of them are dismissed and all are encouraged, keep trusting Jesus despite your fears. And that's what Jesus invites you and I to do. It is not a guarantee, he's not a guarantee that the hardship will, will end but there is a promise he's with you, that Christ is in the boat with his disciples. He's going to leave you in the hard times but there is certainty he'll triumph in the end. That the God who is powerful enough to defeat evil is also the God who is is powerful enough and wise enough to have reasons for not ending the hardship of his people instantly. And in the midst, it's right to ask for mercy. Discovering this was huge relief for a particular believer. she had endured a lot and she thought good Christians don't complain. She was under the impression that good Christians just smiled through the storms and just said, Thank you, Jesus. But a series of studies in the Psalms lifted a burden. She saw it's right for believers to cry out for mercy. It's what they learnt here when they discovered Jesus. She learnt that too, that God cared for her in her reality and she didn't have to hide. And so when life breaks you, don't hold back with God. It is right to plead for relief. And lastly, trust his plans and timing. Wait patiently in his care. Verse 19, Jesus gives a really unlikely response. Uh, everyone goes begging to Jesus and Jesus answers. This guy begs and he will not let the man come with him. He doesn't give him what he wants. He's not rejecting him as a disciple. He's showing him what discipleship means following jesus means trusting his ways not getting yours and so jesus sends him back to his family back to his people to make god's grace known to them that is jesus sends him back to the same people who chained him like an animal the same people who cut him off from life and society that they might share that he might share sorry the goodness and the power of god with them in 520 he does just that um, this guy doesn't get what he wants but he does what jesus wants Uh, jc ryle you see the big man already up there Um, he comments on this moment, he goes, the place Christians wish to be in is not always the place which is best for their souls. The position they would choose if they could have their own way is not always that which Jesus would have them occupy. He says, that place and position is most helpful for us in which we are kept most humble, most taught our own sinfulness, drawn most to the Bible and prayer, led most to live by faith and not by sight. It may not be quite what we like, but if Christ by his providence placed us in it, let us not be in a hurry to leave it. Whatever your unrealised hopes, trust Christ's plan and his timing. Who is this who controls the wind and the waves? He is power that cares. Let me pray. Our Lord and Father, we give you thanks and praise for who Jesus is. The one with all power, but he doesn't use it selfishly the one who can overcome all the evils, the brokenness of this world and we long for the day when he does that in full. But even as we wait, we pray that we would see his care and we pray particularly for those who are suffering uh, under the brokenness of this world at the moment that they would see Christ for who he is and they would find comfort. Uh, We pray that we would be able to, to trust you in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, Amen.